If you were a school nurse, your father survived one of the first mass shootings in the U.S., your niece was a student at Parkland when that shooting occurred, and your school lost four students to gun violence in the last year, how would you feel, and what would you do about it? Let's talk all about a nurse's response to gun violence and more, right here on episode 249 of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello and welcome to The Nurse Keith Show. I'm, as always, so grateful you're here, whether it's your first time tuning in or you've been hanging out with me here on the airwaves for months or years. Thanks for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. This podcast is all about you and your nursing career, and I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, medicine, and beyond. And did you know you can leave a rating and review for The Nurse Keith Show? That's right. Head on over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes. It really helps other people find the show. And if you do that for me, I will read your review on air and thank you personally. Meanwhile, if you want to see the show notes for this episode, follow along at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 249. We're welcoming friend of the pod, School nurse Robin Kogan. She is an award-winning school nurse and advocate of population-based health and gun reform. Robin, let's dive right in. And I want to ask you, so tell us how have mass shootings and the violence happening around this country impacted you personally and professionally? Well, hi, Keith. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And this is such a timely, important topic. Uh, and, and I have to tell you, it is both personal and professional for me. I appreciate what you read starting the podcast out about my personal background. So that really was the impetus for me to start really finding my activist voice around gun violence prevention and gun violence reform. Uh, In terms of my professional life, I am a school nurse in Camden, New Jersey, where we may not have mass school shootings, but we certainly have community gun violence and and what's called uh, slow mass shootings, where it's, you know, chronic community gun violence uh, that doesn't get as much attention as mass school shootings. The other piece of this that has really impacted my school nursing practice, truthfully, is the just the abundance of hyper-realistic active shooter drills that I find traumatizing, concerning. Uh, They are not evidence-based, and I'm really on a mission to bring awareness to how impactful they are because, while thankfully most schools will never have a mass shooting, 95% of American schools are now having regular active shooter drills. Wow. So that really impacts a school nurse, a school nurse's world. And I have done an episode with a school nurse not that long ago, and we talked somewhat about this particular subject and that school nursing is not just band-aids and aspirin anymore. I mean, we have very complex medical needs of our students, which we did discuss on that episode, but we also discussed how there's a lot of other things going on in schools these days, and school shootings is one of the first things we think of when we hear the word school these days. And I think that's a sad statement. It's a very sad statement. And, and there was, I mean, there, is, uh, there was a pretty um, well-publicized Pew Research study that showed one of the, num- the number one and number two fears that children and adults have 
is that there will be a school shooting at their school. I mean, this is just happening across the country. Whether or not there will be a school shooting at your school, it's the fear that your school will be next is really the issue. Absolutely. And we don't know where the next one will happen, whether it's a school or not, correct? So the interesting thing about school shooters and that what we really need to understand is that they always, most always, leave clues. They tell people. They write it on social media. I mean, the Parkland shooter actually wrote, I am going to be a school shooter. Um, and so these, what they call threat assessments, which I think honestly is such a negative, it's such a difficult term for schools to wrap their heads around. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like the language around that needs to change for people to really feel more comfortable reporting. Uh, and we've heard more recently through um, organizations like Sandy Hook Promise, who has a wonderful um, initiative called See Something, Say Something, where they're encouraging students who are really the on-the-ground reporters of these things to let people know, to let the adults know if they hear anything concerning. And so mm -hmm. there have been more reports of students actually uh, reporting their concerns to, to adults, and they're finally being listened to. So there have been recent uh, reports about gun violence that's been that have been thwarted because students are much more vigilant. Right, exactly. And like I said in the intro, your niece is a Parkland student and she was in a separate building from where the the Parkland shooting actually occurred, right? That's correct. That was they have a large campus, mm -hmm. Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, and she was not in the building where the shooting occurred. However, everybody, of course, was impacted. Her class, 18 of them, uh, were in a closet for more than two hours waiting to be freed mm -hmm. by the SWAT team. Uh, and unfortunately for my niece uh, and many of the Parkland students, they knew the, the staff that died. They knew students that died. Of course. And, yeah. And, and for my niece, you know, I think the irony of just having two mass shootings in one family almost 70 years apart is horrific enough, but both my niece and my father had the same method of survival in that they both hid in a closet. God, I mean, that is a family legacy no one wants to have to carry the burden of. And exactly. now your dad was 12 years old in 1949, and he grew right. up in Camden, New Jersey, where you are a school nurse to this day, right? Yeah. And at that time, you told me the story when we spoke a few months ago, that a neighbor killed his entire family and some of his other neighbors as well, correct? There were 13 people killed that 13 day. 13 people. They, yeah. So three, three were my fa father's immediate family, his mother, his father, and his grandmother. Oh, my gosh. And do any of us think about mass shootings in terms of the 1940s? No. We think of 1999 Columbine. Exactly. So mm -hmm. that wasn't a school. It was a neighborhood in Camden. But... A mass shooting is defined as when there's more than two people killed by one perpetrator, right? A mass shooting is actually more than four people shot. More than four people shot. That's the technical FBI term for mass shooting. Right. So 1949, I mean, that was just after World War II when the United States was in an economic boom. I mean, 
things were going great in 1949 on a certain level. I mean, we had the McCarthy years and everything other like that, communism and everything. But there was, I mean, we were in, it was a different time. And we weren't having conversations, to my knowledge, about assault rifles at that time, were we? Absolutely not. No. And, and, and it was, no, there was no conversation around that. And, and for my father, there was also absolutely no support for him. It was almost uh, a secret. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, after the event, he lived with family members and he never spoke about it until decades later when a, uh, literally decades later, when a public defender in Camden, New Jersey, decided to take on the case of the killer who had never had a hearing. He was put immediately into a psychiatric um, forensic unit Mm -hmm. at the state psychiatric hospital. And because he had never had a hearing, actually this public defender took his case on and got 13 murder indictments dropped against the killer. Oh my gosh. And so in 1981, when Mm -hmm. that happened, my father, we all went with him. We all went to court and he spoke about being a survivor and he represented the, all of the victims of that event, all those decades later. Um, and for many years after that, every year, my father would go to court and see the killer and try to, um, not have his. What they were trying to do was give him more and more freedom because mm-hmm. um, he had been virtually, he was incarcerated. It was a psychiatric unit, but it was a forensic unit. And so my father fought against his freedom. My father would say, you know, every year he would say, I have to go to the cemetery to visit my parents. Mm-hmm. Why should he, you know, have fresh, you know, get to walk around the grounds of the hospital and, right. you know, it was just, it was, it was, uh, so painful for my dad. And actually he, he outlived my father by six weeks. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. that is, wow. We could unpack that irony for a while. Um, well, the biggest irony for my, for us, for my dad is that he, he died and was buried on the 60th anniversary of the killing. We, and when my father died, we knew it was close to the date, but he was always so, he didn't talk about a lot. He believed that life goes on beyond these horrific incidents. And, but I, we knew it was close, but when I realized it was the actual date of the 60th anniversary, it was so hard to wrap my head around that. And in fact, just last week, it was the 70th anniversary. So my dad's been gone for 10 years. And, um, wow. you know, in, in, in one respect, I'm thankful he was he did not live through Carly hiding in a closet on February 14th, 2018, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that would have really killed him. So Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that I mean, I'm sorry for your dad's suffering and your whole family's suffering and also for what your niece Carly went through. And I also understand that you lost four students in this past year to gun violence in the Camden school district where you are a school nurse. So was that gang related violence or crime related? What, what some were of the it circumstances? Was gang, yeah. So one of the students, two of, two of the four students were my, my students for when they were much younger. Um, one of the students was walking home from high school and was shot hmm. and killed Two of, and the other three, we're not 100% sure of of the circumstances. It's possible 
um, that mm. it was gang related. But these, this is what, you know, this is the crime that happens in cities across this country that are not, the, the focus and the spotlight is not on these crimes. And, and yet the impact just, rip, the ripple effect continues and, and goes on for generations. Look at my family. You Absolutely, know, 70 years. Mm-hmm. Right. And the impact is still very palpable, mm-hmm. the ripple effect. So my heart goes out to all victims of gun violence. And, and we don't talk enough about survivors of, of gun violence. I mean, for every victim, there's scores more survivors or people who have witnessed it. I mean, I was just doing research about how many children have witnessed gun violence just based on school gun violence alone. Mm -hmm. From 1999 until now, more than 215,000 children, young people, you know, young children and teens have been exposed to gun violence just in school gun violence. Mm across the country. I mean, think about that. That's outrageous. And our friends in Europe and other countries, even in Canada, they Mm -hmm. shake their heads like, what is going on over there? Mm -hmm. And yes, there are shootings in other countries. Yes, but not to the extent we see here. And back in August, on August 4th of 2019, there was a, a terrible shooting that happened I think the day or two before that, and I just got on the microphone and recorded a very raw episode of the Nurse Keith Show. I listened show. to that. that Thank was you. Amazing. Yeah, it doesn't absolutely. even have a number because it was just a bonus you were episode. So raw, absolutely true. I listened and yeah. Yeah, I was just mm-hmm. dumbstruck, but I had to speak out. And speaking of speaking out, you are a gun violence prevention activist. Whether you're a school nurse or not, you're an activist, but you happen to be a school nurse. And I know you believe in amplifying the voice of school nursing through social media. However, at the same time, you are the legislation co-chair for the New Jersey State School Nurses Association. You're a Johnson & Johnson School Health Leadership Fellow and Program Mentor. And you've also won a number of awards, including the 2019 National Association of School Nurses President's Award and the 2018 National with the NCSN School Nurse of the Year Award and many others as well, including the New Jersey Department of Health 2017 Population Health Hero Award. So, do you see your work as a nurse and an activist through different lenses, or is it a combined lens through which you see both these aspects of what you do on a day to day basis? Well, I love that question. I, I appreciate that thoughtful question, because I do believe that school nurses and all nurses um, have a, really, it's a, at this point, I think it's a moral obligation mm-hmm. to speak out about what we see happening across the country, whether it's children being kept in cages at the borders, or gun violence in your school, you're concerned about if your own children and active shooter Indeed. drills. I mean, there are so many issues that nurses with our unique perspective can impact, but we need to use our voice. So for me, social media has become a way not just to use my voice, but truthfully to connect with the most amazing colleagues that I would have never met across sectors. I mean, I I love speaking to nurses. I absolutely um, 
that I, I love speaking to nurses. It's a very important part of my work. That's that inward facing. But I really appreciate the outward facing where nurses are also, we need to speak to people outside of nursing. We do a super great job at talking to each other. We do. Yeah. But we need to speak to people outside of nursing so that they understand our role. I find that nurses have a chronic complaint that people don't know what we mm-hmm. do. School nurses, especially people don't know what we do. But part of that is we haven't done a great job of telling them either. We we and have so, not. Yeah. You're so right. right. And when you and I spoke on the phone a while ago, we talked about from silence to voice, what nurses mm-hmm. know and must communicate to the public by Bernice Buresh and Suzanne Gordon, neither of whom are nurses, but who did a great deal of research about why nurses need to speak to the media and the public and how to go about doing so. And you told me that that book is also very important to you. I love that book. And I actually, I teach uh, part-time at Rutgers University in the school nurse certificate program. And that book is on our absolute must read list. I also believe in the work of Barbara Glickstein and Diana Mason uh, and the Woodhull study. That Mm -hmm. for me, of all the studies I've read, over the last two years, that impacted my practice the most. Right. And you sent me a link to that. And that was from the 90s. It was Barbara Glickstein. She was a nurse and a media strategist, one of the founders of USA Today. No, no, and no. Her- Bar- actually, Barbara Glickstein and Diana Mason did a revisit of the original study that was from the 90s. Oh, but their, a revisit. Yeah, their I revisit see. was in 2018. So the original study was done through, um, her name was Nancy Woodhull, and she was one of the editors and the founders of USA Today. And she actually was not a nurse either, but she um, had... Uh, a, a serious health issue and was spending a lot of time in the hospital around nurses and was very curious as to why nurses were not depicted more in news stories or used as primary sources in health-related stories. So her study, the original study, was revisited 20 years later by Barbara and Diana. And that's the study that really impacted me because nothing had changed in the 20 <laughs> years between when nothing, not in fact, except for statistically, you know, not significant. The numbers had actually gone down a little bit. Mm. Right. Thank you for disabusing me of my very poor memory. And, <laughs> and um, we're going to take a quick break, Robin. And when we come back, we are going to dig deeper into your experience with gun prevention, gun violence prevention, activism, your thesis around school nurses as chief wellness officers, as well as blogging as a platform for activism and school nursing and its intersection with social justice. So we'll be right back with the second half of episode 249. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. Please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support the show, you also get some pretty nifty premiums and gifts directly from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith to read all about it. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash nurse Keith. Also, please consider signing up for my newsletter at nursekeith.com so that you can receive my bi-weekly message just for you. 
Finally, if someone you know could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, even if they do one session, you'll receive credit for one hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit. And you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. Remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits over time. What a deal. Those are my sincere asks of you, dear listener. So now let's dig back into today's topic. All right. Thanks for hanging out here on the Nurse Keith Show. We are in episode 249. The show notes are at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 249. And Robin Kogan, school nurse from Camden, New Jersey, we were just talking about, boy, your father being present during the first mass shooting or one of the first mass shootings in the United States in 1949. Your niece was a student at Parkland and hid in a closet during that shooting in 2018. And your school has lost students to gun violence, and you are an amazing gun violence prevention activist. So tell me about this idea of school nurses acting as chief wellness officers. What do you mean by that? And how do you view that particular role? Yes, I love that title, School Nurses of Chief Wellness Officers. And the re- one of the reasons I love that title is because I was reading an article about Penn, University of Pennsylvania, and their president uh, listed a, a position that they decided to, and this position is actually now all over the country, chief wellness officer. But when I was reading the description of the position, everything that was listed, I thought, that's what a school nurse does. That sounds like what a school nurse would do. And it was, you know, wellness pro- wellness for the, the faculty and, and wellness for the students and, and all the things that school nurses just innately do. And, I, and one of the frustrations, I think, of being a school nurse, there's many, many things that I love about it. But truthfully, one of the biggest frustrations is that there is nowhere to grow mm-hmm. in terms of upward mobility. So I call it horizontal growth. We have to grow horizontally. And sometimes we have to take on titles, even if we don't have them. So I started playing around with the idea after I saw that article, I started playing around with the idea of what would a school nurse be if she took that role on, even if it wasn't actually her title, because sometimes we just have to you know, work through a different perspective and come, you know, kind of be that edge runner, right? And, and, and take on something, even if we don't have ownership of it. So um, I wrote a blog post about the school nurses, you know, welcome back to school kind of blog post about the school nurses is your chief wellness officer and all the things that we do to provide and support wellness in our school communities, because we really are mostly dealing with well people. Mm -hmm. Um, But and, and so that's that's what I mean by the chief wellness officer. Even if you don't have that title, you are that. And, that's and, true. Ha- and if you are that, then what does that mean for your practice? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and demonstrating to others that that is a role that you fulfill and having mm-hmm. them actually see that. And wouldn't it be great to have a superintendent say, our school nurses now hold the title of chief wellness officer? Yeah. You know? yeah. That might be words on a certain level, but words are powerful and titles are powerful. 
absolutely. They are they are powerful, and they I think they create momentum. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I just found it a, a wonderful exercise in imagining if that was the case. And let's say that it is. And and how would we be? And so it's it's a it's a good exercise. I I share it with my students too because I want them to leave our program at Rutgers believing that they are absolutely the chief wellness officer of their school. Right. And speaking of Rutgers, I just want to point out too that you received the Cam the Rutgers University Camden Chancellor's Teaching Excellence Award for part-time faculty. So you're being recognized for your work all over the place for good reason. Thank and you. And speaking of words, we were just talking about the power of words. So the use of social media and blogging, I've talked about that ad nauseum here and there and everywhere. (laughs) And you've been on social media and in the blogging world for a while, you have a strong online presence. So what is it that nurses can contribute to the conversation, whether it's about school violence, gun violence, public health, population health? What is it that we want the public to know that we know? So one of the reasons I actually started the blog is because I felt after reading the Woodhull study, I did a little digging to see how school nurses are portrayed in the media. And I found really the most obnoxious headlines that made me a little crazy. Things like school nurses do more than bandage boo-boos and school nurses are more than just band-aids and school nurses give out more than just band-aids. And these are actual headlines that I found when I did my very unscientific review. Uh, It was always we're more than or not just. But when you tell people what you're not, people hear that that's what you are. Mm -hmm. And so I, my desire to start this blog was so that I could tell people exactly, you know, really what we do and not just what I do as a school nurse, but one of the best parts of that I found in my blog is that I also am able through social media to spotlight the amazing work of other school nurses across the country. And so I have lots of guest bloggers that share their passion and their experience and their stories from their health office. And that's been so not just fun, it's been um, invigorating. It's, it's brought, uh, I've just met wonderful colleagues across the country that I meet virtually at first, but then I've, I've made it a practice to meet as many as I can in real life too. And that's been uh, just a wonderful opportunity over the last few years. My blog is not quite two years old. It's about a year and a half old. Wonderful. And I, and I do post at least once a week, if not more. Mm -hmm. Um, And I take on some really I started off just, not just, I I don't like that word. I started off telling stories about my health office and soon uh, realized that I wanted to hear what other people were doing too. So, and then after Parkland, honestly, it took on a whole, I kind of turned left and took on so many other big issues. Um, I've shared stories about climate justice and social justice and, and, bias and my own hidden bias that I wasn't aware of and how to use social media as a form of nursing activism and, uh, you know, children in cages. And I, t- I even talked about my very first nursing error. I was, you know, full disclosure, I was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, and, and then I've taken on some of the bigger issues of course, gun violence, whenever I see a PSA from like Sandy Hook Promise or um, 
any of these organizations that are really doing this incredible work, like the Brady Foundation. I, mm-hmm. I like to share the work that they're doing, the research. So I'll, I'll push it out through a blog post. Um, I'm sure you remember the whole issue that happened when that, that unfortunate uh, legislator said that all nurses do is play cards. Oh my gosh. Yes, <laughs> totally. Yep. So I have a friend who, a high school friend actually, who's a nurse and she wrote this incredible post on Facebook. She so tragically lost her son and her husband within a year. Mm. And she wrote her, she wrote a, a Facebook post about how she played cards, but the person, she is the nurse that played cards, but she was playing cards with her son while he was in hospice. Right. And so um, that was probably my most well, most read column was her her piece on the nurse who played i am the nurse who played cards oh send me a link to that we'll put it in the show notes and also you were also involved in a press conference in dc very recently tell us about that wow can i say in my nursing life of 35 years Mm -hmm. that was definitely top one, two of nursing experiences that I've ever had. The other one was also this summer. They were both, I had had two back-to-back incredible nursing experiences and they're actually related. So I was very, very honored to be asked to speak at the Future of Nursing Town Hall in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And I was... Uh, asked to represent school nursing, which was a huge honor, scary, scariest thing I ever did until last Thursday. Um, Uh Yeah. (laughs) So I I did the future of nursing, I had 15 minutes to kind of lay out what are what school nurses do, why we're important, and what do we need in the next, you know, what what are the next 10 years going to look like? What, What will school nursing be in 2030? And what do we need to get there? And so what happened after that was just like two weeks ago, not even, um, Lauren Underwood, Congresswoman Lauren Underwood, who is a nurse from Illinois, she's very young, I think she's 32, uh, her chief of staff reached out to the American Academy of Nursing to Mm -hmm. ask if they knew of a school nurse because Lauren Underwood wanted to do a press conference around gun violence in schools. So they spoke to the CEO of the academy, who actually happened to be at the Future of Nursing 2030 in Philadelphia, and heard me speak. And she connected us. Perfect. And so, yeah. So last Thursday, I went to D.C. with the dean of my nursing school. I, 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 I was thrilled that she wanted to come with me. And we headed to D.C., and I spoke at the press conference with Lauren Underwood. She had two children who were children of constituents in her district in Illinois. Uh, Lucy McBath, who is now a congresswoman from Georgia, whose son was killed, um, I'm not sure how many years ago now, Mm. but she turned her grief into activism and became a congresswoman. And Johanna Hayes, who was teacher of the year under the Obama administration is now a congresswoman from Connecticut. And and, and it was just the most, and also the president of the academy spoke. Wow. And it was, yeah, 
it was a, a surreal experience. We were standing at the steps of the Capitol behind us. And it was kind of like, I just felt that I was absolutely part of democracy, lowercase d, where it's messy, it's loud, you know, but it's the people speaking. And I felt so oh, powerful, invigorated, uh, like this policy portal opened up in my head. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. It's like you grew a new, um, a couple new neurons in your brain. I did. Saying, Robin, Robin, okay, here we go. We're moving to the policy area Stop now. Stop policy. <laughs> right. That's really great. And so you had two experiences this summer that... Back to back, yeah. Back to back that really mm-hmm. changed what your self-perception and maybe the reach of your message perhaps you know i think what it did was when you have to do something really scary like that and you do it um and in fact getting ready for both of those events and and i and i play the song for my nursing students because part of their program is they have to deliver a lesson uh to to all of us and Mm. And that's really scary when you have not been in front of a class ever, you've been a nurse for X number of years, and you've decided to go back to school to become a school nurse. And all of a sudden, now you are having to deliver a health lesson. That's scary. So over the last few years, I started to play music to, to you know get them relaxed a little bit. So I started to play Sarah Bareilles' Brave. Mm-hmm. And when I was getting ready for the future of nursing, that's what I played for myself. Probably 20 times I played it <laughs> as I was getting ready. And and then I did Great. it again for when I was getting ready for DC. Um, because, you know, I love the words. It's like, say what you want to say, let the words come out. Uh, you know, I want to see you be brave. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we all need to be brave. I mean, it's a great message. I think nurses, we are brave in our work, but we're not always brave in our words. True. That's that's a good point. We're brave in our work, but we're not always brave in our words. That's and we're, and we're not always brave about talking about our work because sometimes people feel that it's boasting or that it's self-serving. And you know what? I just disagree because when you don't make it about yourself, but you make it about bettering circumstances or health improvement or mm-hmm. or or talking about what nursing really is, I don't think it's boasting. I think. I think we've done ourselves a disservice. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to, you know, change the perspective around that. Sure. And speaking of which, you know, back in the days from of Florence Nightingale prior and since nurses have been in a kind of servile position. You know, we felt like we were just the handmaidens of doctors for so long that has changed to some extent. Nurse practitioners have more breadth of practice and, and actually autonomous practice in many States around the country now, more than half, I believe. And, you know, so things have changed, but nurses still feel that they don't deserve to talk about what they do and that yeah i I feel like it's in our dna and we need to change (laughs) that i mean it doesn't make any sense actually last night barbara glickstein was guest speaker for my students at rutgers and we had a wonderful discussion about why is that it's it's not necessarily that people aren't listening to us but they can't listen to us if we don't say anything there's (laughs) there's right there's four million of us and there's one million physicians. We way outnumber them. Right. However, when something happens, who do the media call? 
they call doctors. They don't call nurses. And and partly they don't call nurses is because we're hard to find. And we don't yes. always, you know, we don't always respond. And some of it's fear-based. We don't want to lose our job. We can throw the hippo wall out there. But you know what? Let's respond. Let's write letters to the editor. Let's write op-eds. Let's mm-hmm. not only talk to each other in our own nursing journals, in our own nursing circles. Right. So we can thank, you know, Teresa Brown, mm-hmm. nurse journalist who writes for the New York Times. Yes. We can thank the nurses who are out there. Like the wonderful nurse I had on recently, Kelly Johnson, who was the nurse in the Miss America pageant who ah, gave that she's monologue. The one. Yeah. She's the one. And <laughs> then the, the view and joy bahar went after her for wearing a doctor's stethoscope and that's where the hashtag and the nonprofit show me your stethoscope came from and through show me your stethoscope they also then combined forces with safe staffing and so there's a, a talk about policy you know they go to capitol hill as a, as a team it seems and they and they lobby about safe staffing ratios they do indeed and i mm-hmm. spoke for them at their rally at on the steps of the Capitol uh, two years ago in 2028, 2017 or 18, I believe wow, I spoke. good for you. Yeah, so, you know, nurses have done this stuff and they continue mm-hmm. to do it because you're doing it right now in this very moment. And I just feel like there's more of us out there that need to speak up. And I thank you for doing the hard work of trying to convince nurses to do so. And you are one of the voices in the wilderness. And I greatly appreciate that. And at the same time, I hear your dog panting and I want to know what his name is. (laughs) My dog, I have a little traumatized dog. His name is Hutch. Hutch. And Hutch is actually from the border. He's from the Texas-Mexico border. And we rescued him just a few months ago. And, um, yeah, so yeah, he's, he's a sweetie. He's a sweetie inside the house, but mm-hmm. if you open the door, he becomes Cujo. So we're, we're not quite sure what to do with Hutch. Oh dear. Well, <laughs> Hutch, we're happy to have you on the show. We'll have you back in 2020 when you've written your first memoir. Uh, <laughs> After he's has a little obedience training. He'll be right. Fine. Exactly. So Robin, tell me, tell me about, something you're planning to do or some initiative you would like to work on some more, let's say in 2020, as we gear up for the new year in a few months, is there something on your mind that you're thinking, yeah, that's next? Yes. I'm actually in the middle of it right now. And, um, one of the interesting, I guess, unintended or maybe intended consequences of this work is that school nurses across the country who have been impacted by gun violence have reached out to me privately because they have nowhere to turn. Okay. They don't feel comfortable speaking at school. Uh, They haven't gotten the support necessarily that they need to get through the trauma of what's happened to them. I mean, there have been more than 239 school shootings on school grounds. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. And it's a a lot lot of, yeah. And it's a lot of fallout. Mm -hmm. So we've started a private Facebook group for school nurses who have been impacted by school shootings and community gun violence because they're both, everything comes to school. And that has been um, just really uh, probably of all the things that have happened, that has had 
such an impact on me personally to be able to just create a safe space for people to be and to share and to sure. talk. Um, and so, I mean, I, I don't think people realize there's, there's organizations for uh, principals and, and superintendents who have been impacted by gun violence, but there was nothing for school nurses mm-hmm. and they're first responders. Uh, of course they are. Absolutely. So, they're responsible for the health of the school community. And when, when the unthinkable happens, mm-hmm. um, you know, we can't help but feel responsible. Absolutely. So any nurse who wants to join this private Facebook group, do they have to be a school nurse? They don't have to be a school nurse. I do ask a few of them to answer some questions so that we understand, you know, their intention for joining. I see. And it's small um, and it's it's just beginning to really get more active. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. I'm also uh, working on hopefully bringing um, a presentation to our National Association of School Nurse Conference uh, this summer about this issue of school nurses. Um, There's three of us. So one is focusing on community gun violence impact, you know, the feeling of what that's like. Mm -hmm. The other school nurse was a first responder uh, at her at a school shooting in her in Maryland, where she's a school nurse, and the third school nurse is from El Paso, Texas, and her school. The shooting happened at Walmart just in August. Yes, uh, that same weekend of the Dayton, Ohio shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, but her school was used for reunification, and because it was her school, she went. So mm-hmm. she was part of this community-wide reunification process that was so upsetting. I mean, here there were people at the, the, you know, the greatest moment of their life because they were reunited with their loved ones. And at the same time, people are finding out their loved ones did not make it. Wow. What a, and she was in the middle of all of that. Oh, what a process to be involved in intimately. And are you hoping from this Facebook group, for instance, and the work you're doing with the other school nurses, are you hoping that some larger movement might grow out of that? Do you have a notion that something like that might happen? I'm hoping that school nurses can get the support that they need and deserve and require. Uh, We are not great at asking for help. I understand. We're just not good at it. No, we're not. We're good at helping everyone else, including the next door neighbor, the old lady down the street, the the shopkeeper who we know has high blood pressure, our cousin who wants us to look at the mole on his back. You know, we're good at yeah, helping everybody. Yeah. Um, and that's great. I mean, it's wonderful. Um, but there's much more for us to do. And I know your website with where your blog and everything lives is relentlessschoolnurse.com. And if someone wants to email you, should they email you at relentlessschoolnurse at gmail.com? Yes, that's a great place to email me. Okay. You're also on Facebook.com as School Nurse Robin. You're on Instagram as Relentless underscore School Nurse. And you're on Twitter as Robin Kogan. And we'll have all of that in the show notes. And you're also on LinkedIn and people can connect with you there. So if someone wants to be invited or check out the Facebook group, they can just get in touch with you directly, right? Absolutely. Okay. Now, before we start to wrap up, we have a few minutes For that nurse out there listening right now, whether she or he is a school nurse or not, if that person feels really moved by this conversation or feels like this conversation is just putting them over the edge where, okay, I want to take some action about specifically, let's say, gun violence prevention, 
right? So what would you recommend that person do? What should he or she do? So one of the first things I did is I got involved with a group called Affirm. And Affirm is a an apolitical, even though I'm very political, it's an apolitical organization of healthcare providers that are looking to, to use the public health model to solve this public health crisis. And if what I encourage people to do is to get their national organizations to support a firm, because a firm is there has been no funding, very, very little minuscule funding for gun violence prevention research over the last 20 years because of something called the Dickey Amendment. I see. And so a firm is creating a funding stream for research. Research in gun violence prevention of across many different sectors. Um, I don't think people realize that the number one, um, there's first of all, there's more than 40,000 people killed a year by gun violence. And mm-hmm. a large percentage of the, those deaths, 60% are suicide. Mm. And so there's so much that we don't understand because they funding was not allowed government federal funding was not allowed because of the sticky amendment. So, um, find, you know, look for these organizations like a firm that are doing this amazing work and ask your national nursing organizations to take a stand and be vocal. And, you know, nursing organizations, I know they don't like to be political, but nursing is political. We have a license to touch people. How much more radical and political can you get? than being yes. able to touch people, right? And healthcare is political as well. We it ha- it is, right? A hundred percent. And healthcare yeah. is does not only happen in an acute care hospital. That's where illness happens. Health happens at home. Health happens in the community. So we have to like completely reframe what we're talking about. And so in terms of gun violence prevention, there's groups like Moms Demand Action. There's mm-hmm. the Brady Foundation. I mean, there are tremendous organizations out there looking for help. And nurses, we have such a great perspective on this. And our our talent, our understanding, our education, you know, our ability to assess uh, uh, things in so quickly, our our skills are needed to help move this forward. They, they certainly are. Mm-hmm. And that's a great those are great pieces of advice. And people can also take a page, no pun intended, out of the book by Baresh and Gordon and write letters to the editor oh, if you're yeah. upset. Yeah. Like I did my podcast off the cuff, like on the fly, when I was upset by those two shootings that same weekend in early August 2019. So I took to the airwaves because that's one of my channels. But if you don't have a social media channel and don't want one, then write a letter to the editor in your community or write an op-ed and submit it to the New York Times or the Washington Post or whatever. So there's plenty, plenty of ways to get out there if you really want to. And I know it's scary to put your name on a piece of writing out in the world, isn't it, Robin? You know, I think writing is a pretty vulnerable thing to do. And I see that people uh, balk at it, mm-hmm. but it it's a powerful tool. It is. It's a very powerful tool. It's your voice, whether it's in a podcast or written, it's your voice. And, and one of my favorite quotes from Burrish and Gordon, if, can I read it? It's really short. Please. 
Um, it says, envision how things would be if the voice and visibility of the nursing profession were commiserate with the size and importance of the nursing profession. Ooh, would you email me that quote for the show oh, notes? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many things for these show notes. And if you're listening, please remember to go to nursekeith.com forward slash episode 249. We're going to have the recent press conference that you were involved in, Robin. Those will be in the show notes. We'll have some quotes from Barres and Gordon, and we'll have links to all of your stuff, especially the relentlessschoolnurse.com and all your social media channels. And Robin, this is great work you're doing in the world. And, you know, I would like to say there will never be another school shooting and we'll never have to have this conversation again, but we, we can rest assured that there's going to be some shootings somewhere along the line in the next years to come. And when there is another shooting and hopefully it won't be, but if there is, I'd love for you and I to hop on the mic and just do, just have a conversation and record it. Cause I think Anytime. that kind of raw reaction is very important for these these terrible, tragic, moving moments that happen in our society, and we have to respond. And you and I are two nurses who've just decided to to respond in public. Right. And, you know, if you don't want to respond in public, talk to your neighbors, talk to your communities, talk to your your children's teachers, right? You can to also talk to your legislators. So there's another way you can get involved. Correct, Robin? Absolutely. And in fact, some of the nurses who have reached out to me really wanted to tell their story. Yeah. So I invited them to do it anonymously. Great. Great. And they did. And so one of them who was initially anonymous is now, she discussed it with her principal and she's no longer anonymous. Yeah. So these things can evolve over time too. Yeah. But take one step. Exactly. And Robin, I know you lead a nice life there in Camden. You've been married to your husband, Eddie, for I think over 35 years now. Congratulations. My wife and I just hit 30 years, so I understand how that goes. You have two <laughs> adult twin girls, Allie and Jill, and you told me that they still call you for medical advice to this day. So that's awesome. Yes, and now they're both married, and now they send me pictures of their husband's issues. Too. All right. Could you look at you look at John's mole? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the look at this. I don't like how this looks, mom. That's wonderful, Robin. So you're doing great work in the world. Thank you for doing it. And thank you for gracing our airwaves as well. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. And I think I, I need to give Karen Haber a shout out because it was Karen, who's a New Jersey school nurse who connected us. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Karen. Kudos to you too. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to episode 249 of the Nurse Keith Show. Remember, the show notes are permanently live at nursekeith.com forward slash episode 249. Please go there. Let Robin know you heard the episode. Let her know what you think of her work and let her know you are out there. I hope you feel inspired from this episode. And I want you to take inspired action every day in the interest of your personal and professional lives, no matter what that inspired action is, it's whatever moves the needle for you. So the Nurse Keith Show is edited and produced by Tim Hollowell and his team at thepodcastinggroup.com. And Mark Cappiespeason is our social media ringmaster. Be well, dig deep, seek joys, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And Robin Kogan bidding you adieu from 
Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Cherry Hill, New Jersey, right up the road for my birthplace of Perth Amboy. So thank you, Robin. Thank you, Keith. And we will see everyone on the flip side. <laughs>